All right, welcome in Cube Show podcast, a college football podcast that usually comes to you on Sunday. Obviously, had to bump it back an extra day. Uh, I was in Auburn for the Iron Bowl, had the entire family there. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit later in the show. Talk about some new coaching hires around the SEC rivalry weekend. We got a lot to get to. I was on the call for the Egg Bowl, so we'll get to that. Talk about it. It was amazing. Uh, it was a great weekend, a lot of fun, a lot of football. We're going to try to cover it for you, try to compress this thing, get it in a little bit more quickly than we did the last couple of weeks. Um, always brought to you by Wickles Pickles, wickedly delicious. Always check those out in your local grocery store. If they don't have them, tell them they need them. Or just go to wicklespickles.com. You can use promo code CUBE, say 15%. They'll ship them to you. Appetizers on your burger, whatever it is, snack on them. Wickles Pickles, wickedly delicious. Um, all right, I mentioned I was on the call for the Egg Bowl. Had a chance to call that, and man, that atmosphere was amazing. Um, just had fun being in Davis Wade, seeing that thing. Um, Coach Knox comes out on the four-wheeler. I will put a little bit of context behind that for you. Inky Johnson, there's a speech of him talking about his kid falling off his four-wheeler. He didn't want to get back on. He says, we're going to go heavy, puts him back on, says he's going to ride it. So kind of bouncing back, overcoming obstacles and adversity. That's what the four-wheeler was for, and I know his answer kind of didn't explain that, it was awesome either way, man. He rode a four-wheeler into the Egg Bowl. Like, how cool is that? Um, they couldn't get it done. Ole Miss gets the win. But I thought Mississippi State got the game that they needed, the game that they wanted. Uh, they needed that thing to be a physical, just backyard brawl, fist fight, kind of a 1998-style Mississippi State football game. And they got it. And I thought Will Rogers, you could tell he's limited. The injury obviously affecting him. He's now entered the transfer portal. Going to go finish playing his career somewhere else. But – I thought he showed a lot of grit, man. Showed some guts, like had some big runs late where you knew he was going to take a hit. Um, not, didn't have full arm strength, not able to push the ball down the field. I feel like Pete Golding knew that. He kept those safeties up just a little bit. More run support. State couldn't really get the run game going. Woody Marks and company just couldn't find it consistently. I think there were extra bodies they had to deal with. That's one of the major reasons that they couldn't do it. Either way, gutsy performance. Bookie Watson, Jet Johnson. I think 21 and 14 tackles in the game. Uh, Jackson Dart, gutsy as well. I think once Ole Miss learned that that was a, the, kind of the, the style game that they were in, they turned to Quinshawn a little bit. He ran angry. He gets over 100 yards. Third Ole Miss back in school history to go for 1,000 yards in consecutive seasons. The only back in school history with back-to-back 15-yard touchdown rushing seasons. So he's in the record books. He's incredible. I thought that offensive line played really well. Like Caleb Warren being able to diagnose everything. Just have an understanding of what was going on. Thought he did a really nice job. Thought 78 did a good job at right tackle. He kind of brought his A game. He was physical. Dart goes 14 to 26, just 96 yards passing. A touchdown, no pick. Judkins 119. Will Rogers 25 and 39, 207. They only ran for 96 yards. So that was the difference that they just couldn't close it out. And I thought, even though Rogers couldn't find those explosive plays, try to get it to Thomas a little bit early. Uh, tried to get the two a little bit early. I appreciated that. I liked that. But at the same time, you knew it wasn't going to be able to get it done down the field. And even though he wasn't able to do that, I thought his operation of the offense was just a little bit better. You could tell just Will Rogers managing things, getting the ball where it needed to go was a little bit better. And he was just a better option being in there. Mike Wright comes in once. I still don't understand the rhyme and the reason behind that. Just kind of a, it, it was, it was a weird situation. Moving on now, Jeff Levy going to be the, the, the head coach. I like Jeff Levy. I'm a Jeff Levy fan. Uh, covered him at Ole Miss, known him for a while. I think he's a brilliant offensive mind. You can look at his track record and see that. 
I know he's a first-time head coach, but I do think his network will allow him for him to put a good staff together. A lot of times that's usually the deciding factor of how good your staff's going to be. Like, who do you know? Who's going to trust you? Who's going to come in and want to be with you? I understand the NIL is not necessarily what it needs to be, but also keep in mind, Jeff did a lot of good things sort of pushing NIL to the forefront at Oklahoma. Why? He knew how important that would be in getting a quarterback. Um, also, his current AD was with him in Oklahoma for a little while when they started getting that thing going. So those two have worked together on that. And I just think understanding the importance and knowing how to go get it is going to help Mississippi State be able to attack that. He's going to get quarterbacks and receivers in that offense. He's just going to. Uh, they're going to want to put up the numbers. They're, they're going to want to play in it. He'll get that done. Interested to see where he goes defensively on his staff. But he'll bring some excitement. And even though he runs that offense, I will say, there's a little old school to Jeff Levy. Like state fans are going to relate to him and his personality and how he talks and just his demeanor, how he carries himself. There's a little bit of that old school football guy in him, even though he's way new school as far as his offensive approach. Um, I keep an eye on guys like Mike Clements, offensive line coach at North Carolina. Um, to be a member of his staff, if he can get him, it'd be a great get. But I think this is a really good hire for State. I think immediately they're going to be able to score. They're going to be able to put points on the board. There's a lot of production in positions that he needs that are on that team right now. Some of that carryover kind of from the air raid as they tried to transition into Barbe's offense last year. But either way, um, final thing on the game, it was really cool to see how much that game meant to so many of the older guys. Uh, Bookie Watson, Jed Johnson, um, you know, even seeing – Woody Marks out there, Jaden Wally running around, been in that program for a long time. You could tell they put it on the line. And Jackson Dart, I mean, lots of those guys. I mean, he was he was banged up. He was banged up coming in, had the shoulder issue. He's handed off with his wrong hand. Like, he had to go out there and make some things happen. Uh, so I just appreciated seeing that game for what it was up close and personal. But obviously, Lane gets the 10 wins. Only the second time in school history it's happened in the regular season. He's done it both times. Uh, and Mississippi State heading a different direction. The Egg Bowl might take seven hours next year uh, with both these guys as much as they're going to throw the football around, but it's going to be fun to watch. And it was fun to be there on the sideline for that game. Uh, speaking of Ole Miss, you guys know Blue Delta Jeans. They're right there in Oxford, Mississippi. They can get you what you need as far as custom denim, premium denim. I'm wearing a pair right now. Be on Read and React with those tonight with Roman Harper, uh, 6 p.m. Central on the SEC Network. And we're going to get to all these games and talk about them. But go to BlueDeltaJeans.com. You can get custom premium denim that fits you perfectly. That's going to be flexible, cool. It's going to be wonderful. You'll never want another pair of jeans, I promise you. Holidays around the corner, maybe a Blue Delta Jeans gift card. You can get that for you and get everything set for Christmas. BlueDeltaJeans.com. Tell Nick and the guys you heard about them right here on Cube Show. All right, Kentucky gets past Louisville. This is a big win because I think Kentucky just needed it, really. And then the Mark Stoop stuff starts coming out. That gets put to rest. He's going to stay I don't know the inner workings of exactly how that thing played out, but I don't think it was necessarily portrayed in the media exactly the way everything went down. Um, 38-31, they get to 7-5, and five, but they, they snap a 34-game losing streak to top 10 AP opponents, which is massive. Uh, Ray Davis, 14 carries, 76 yards. He was really good with the football. There wasn't a lot of space there created by the offensive line. They had some run-through that was a problem. I thought Liam Cohen did a good job mixing the pieces you saw tight ends in motion. You saw moving the backs around, some shifts that really threw that Louisville defense off at times. And then they showed you late the ability to come back in the game. So a lot of grit, a lot of determination, not mailing it in, all sort of 
landmarks of a Mark Stoops football team. And, and that part was impressive. Devin Lear was just 12 of 22 for 206. He did throw three touchdowns, made some big throws at times, but still just that inconsistency, not where it needs to be. Derek Jackson, Trevin Wallace, both big games defensively. They were flying around. J.J. Weaver gets a sack. Josiah Hayes gets a sack. Big 97 inside, doing more good things. He's been solid for that team all year. I thought they were active, especially late when they needed to be. But keep in mind, Kentucky was 3 of 9 on third down. They were outrushed and outgained in this game. But the three takeaways were huge, massive. You get the pick, and then off of, on top of those three turnovers, you get the 100-yard kickoff return. So special teams and takeaways, really the difference in this game. Otherwise, I don't think they're in it. So they made plays when they had to. They showed you they're not mailing it in. And, you know, I thought Ray Davis played hard. I thought those linebackers were flying around, made plays when they needed to. And Mark Stoops gets the seven wins, maybe a chance to eight in a bowl game, beats their rival, and ends that losing streak to AP top 10 teams. So that's a massive win for Kentucky. A little bit to be proud of here as the season closes out. And then Mark Stoops has to shoot down the rumors that he's going to go to Texas A&M. I, I don't really know exactly how real it ever was or if it was going to happen. Uh, I do think he'd been, uh, I think he'd been, uh, been good there. I think he can win there. I think he win almost anywhere, but we'll get to A&M's head coaching situation here in just a moment. Let's just go to it now as LSU takes out A&M 42 to 30, Jaden Daniels, 16 to 24, 234, four touchdowns, passing, no picks. Um, he had 11 carries for 120 yards, fifth player in SEC history to account for 50 touchdowns in a season. Fourth game with 200 and 100 this year. So 200 passing and 100 rushing. How about this? In the SEC this season, all the other quarterbacks in the league combined for three of those games. He has four. Completely insane. Uh, Malik Neighbor, six for 122, two touchdown. Ninth 100-yard game this year? He's been insane. Brian Thomas, five for 58. Leads the nation in touchdown receptions with 15. Uh, Harold Perkins had a big game. He was flying around. Uh, I thought Savion Jones did a nice job off the edge. Actually, I thought all the uh, LSU defensive ends had a pretty good game. They got they collapsed the pocket a little bit, made Jalen Henderson uncomfortable. Jalen Henderson a little bit skittish in the pocket. You could tell he was a little jumpy, maybe left a little bit early a few too many times. He goes 25 of 35, 294, two touchdowns and a pick, 41 carries for 96 yards. I'll tell you who I like is Ruben Owens. Like, he looks like a little less twitchy Darren McFadden. Like he's that long frame, long strider, but he makes big definitive cuts. Uh, he only six for 21, but man, you can just see the flashes of him being something special down the road. And the A&M, I mean, Walter Nolan did some good things. Um, you know, I, I thought a couple of Shamar Turner, uh, did a couple, both of Shamar's had good games. The defensive line was fine. Um, you know, 21 and 45 made some plays at linebacker for A&M. But secondary just got lost a few times and you turn a couple of receivers free. Like Jalen Daniels is not going to miss those. But I do think from a disruptive standpoint, they, they were able to get there a few times, but they lost their rush lane integrity and he's able to take off and make them pay. All in all, the LSU offensive line, especially against that front, they held up pretty well. Good to see Diggs back running the ball. Um, I thought Will Campbell had a really nice game at right tackle. I thought 70 had a nice game on that LSU offensive line. Like that group, for the most part, really did hold up nicely and allowed Daniels to do some things. They just didn't get the ball back. Um, A&M kind of played ball control early, and then LSU bounces back in the second half, rallies and wins that game. So they get to 9-3. and and is going to finish 7-5, and five, and Mike Elko is now the head coach. Uh, do I think Jaden Daniels is still in the Heisman? Yes, I do. He's been the most outstanding player. We can go through all the numbers, 
but he's been the most outstanding player in college football. Don't give me the record. Go look at his his numbers in those losses. He should get the trophy. All right. I love Elko. I've been around him. Fun guy to talk to. Recruits love him. Kids love playing for him. Brilliant defensive mind. And here's what I like. Similar to what we talked about with Levy. When he was at A&M before, some of the things I heard were that he did everything right behind the scenes. He did all the things that he needed to do as far as talking to the right people, massaging those relationships, knowing who to text and call just to keep things moving in the right direction. Like that's who Mike Elko is. And I don't think at A&M you have to have the flashy name. I don't think you have to have the name and lights. I don't think you have to have the wow guy, the one that's going to get the retweets and we're all going to you know, go get all the likes and impressions on social media. You have everything else there to be able to win. You have the resources. NIL is in place. you got enough history and tradition. You've got the home field advantage. You've got everything else that you need. You just need a guy to come in and organize and keep things going in the right direction and keep everybody in check. I think Elko can do that. He's been proven to do that already. We've seen what he's done at Duke. He understands being involved in big-time college football. He's been at A&M before. He's been at Notre Dame. He's been at Duke. This guy is going to get it. He's going to know how to manage it and work it. He's not going to take shortcuts. I think Mike Elko is going to do a really nice job. Am I going to predict him to win a national championship? No, but I do think he'll win, and I think he'll win a lot, and I think he'll have a chance to. It's just with what the league is going to, with Texas and Oklahoma coming in, and then maybe we should start judging this by playoff appearances. Do I think Elko gets a playoff appearance? Yes, I do. Not going to predict a national championship, but I think A&M will make the college football playoff with Mike Elko as their head football coach. I'll go there. So A&M 7-5, LSU 9-3. and 0-6 in Tiger Stadium is a member of the SEC, and now 10 straight road games A&M has lost. Just, it's kind of gross when you think about it. Uh, Missouri gets 10 wins, 10-2. and They take down Arkansas 48-14. Cody Schrader, man, just a huge game again. 217 yards, career high for him. Uh, second 200-yard game this season. He's second in the nation in rushing yards right now. He's been phenomenal. Van Fleet at tight end was big for Missouri. Javon Foster had a big game. Mimbu had a big game. And I know this thing kind of got ugly. Man, rivalry weekend was rivalry weekend. Like Tennessee and Vandy was popping off. Old Miss State was about to pop off. Alabama-Auburn was on the brink of going over the edge and blowing up a few times. This game had a couple of blow-ups. Like it was what we thought it was going to be and maybe more. Um, first 10 win season since 2014 for Missouri. Um, I did think Arkansas played hard in certain facets, but once KJ Jefferson went out, I just don't think there was going to be enough balance for them to make it go in this game. Jacoby Criswell, 12 of 20, 96 yards. Isaiah Gustav, I thought he was, he ran the ball well again, 15 for 88. He's, he's going to have a chance to be great. When Dominique Johnson gets you your longest play from scrimmage at 41 yards, you're not explosive enough offensively. And Arkansas has got to do two things, address the offensive line, and become more explosive because either way at quarterback, I think they can be okay there. And they have enough pass catchers in general. They just got to get more guys that can separate and more guys that can create home runs. They don't have that right now. Up front, I thought that defensive line was active, played well. Antonio Greer, Chris Paul, I mean, they were flying around. They played hard. It's just Missouri had that stretch play going, man. And when it's rolling, that's the foundation of their offense. It can hit outside the offensive tackle. It can hit backside the backside tackle. And Schrader does the best job I've seen of any back this year that runs the stretch of knowing before it happens where he's going to go. Does he just keep that track? Does he make that cut last minute and go between the guard and tackle? Does he go backside? He just feels it. And when you watch some of those 
Like Armand Mimbu had a couple butt blocks where he just kind of turns and walls a guy off, and here comes Schrader right behind him, like knows exactly where to hit it. They understand when a linebacker runs past, don't chase, just wall them off and keep helping them take themselves out of the play. They just do a great job with that. Kirby Moore's done a great job with that offense this year, and it's it's moved around a little bit. Like Brady Cook was the guy early that made it go. Schrader in the middle of the season kind of made it go. And then you pick here and there with a couple different receivers who either the go-to guy or the big play guy or the decoy guy. They've done a good job just managing that whole thing. Leading tackler out the last two games, and the front still look dominant. Like they get after you, and you know they don't even have to do it with pressure, even though they do sometimes. That defensive line was ripping against Arkansas. Just a heck of a game, a heck of a win for Missouri, a heck of a year, really, for Eli Drinkwitz. It's been super impressive, almost impressive, as what Manscaped can do to you. Merry Ballsmas, guys, from my friends over at Manscaped. The holidays are approaching. What if I told you that celebrations are starting early this year? Turns out perfect gift does exist. And who else to bring it down your chimney than the leaders in below-the-waist grooming? Keep calm and let your balls jingle this season with Manscaped's brand-new performance package 5.0 Ultra. Featuring the new Lawnmower 5.0, watch all your wishes and mistletoe kisses come true. Look nice when you're going naughty by going to manscaped.com. Use promo CUBE for 20% off plus free shipping. Unwrap the gift of smoothness this season at Manscaped. Now, including this special sack is the Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra, Weed Whacker 2.0 Ear and Nose Trimmer, Manscaped's liquid formulations, and two free gifts. Once you're done shaping up, it's only right you put your pants presents with the best wrapping at all. The Boxers 2.0, these are seriously the best boxes I've ever worn. They are super comfortable. Listen, get 20% off and free shipping right now using promo code CUBE at manscaped.com. That's 20% off, free shipping, manscaped.com, promo code CUBE, manscaped. Get your jingle balls ready for the holidays. All right, let's roll through a couple more of these games. Florida goes down to Florida State. This one was meh. Not so great. Uh, Florida goes to five and seven. Max Brown, nine of 16, just 86 yards passing. There wasn't real balance with him in the lineup. And I understand you can say, well, some of the protection broke down. Yes, but you got to get the ball to your playmakers. Now, Montrell, pretty good running the ball, kind of had the zone scheme working a little bit early, 18 for 107 for him, but it wasn't consistent. And then I think Florida State locked down on it a little bit later in the game. Things get a little bit chippy. Things get a little bit, you know, back and forth. You get some ugliness going and just some of the discipline issues for Florida in this game, unnecessary, I thought. Eugene Wilson, four touches. Ricky Pearsall, one for 17. Like those things can't happen. Find other ways to get them the ball. Uh, defensively, I thought they showed up in the first half. The run game, Florida State's going to lean on the run. They're not going to get away from it. Like the pin and pull, they're going to keep running it, keep running it. Stretch play, keep running it. Then they'll give you the split zone with it. They'll give you different action off of it. But they're going to they're gonna stay with it, and you saw that pay off, and it kind of got going there in the second half. So I thought Derek Wingo played a good game. Des Watson showed up for Florida up front defensively, but it just not enough. Uh, Cam Jackson did some good things up front on defense, but as the game went on, Florida State busted a couple of big ones. Florida could not get explosive plays offensively, couldn't move the chains. And Max Brown, I just don't think, offered enough balance. If you're wondering why we've been talking about Graham Mertz the way that we have, there's your example. You get Max Brown in the game, he's not able to do the same kind of things. He's not the same quarterback, and it's not the same offense. As I've said before, I'll say it again. Billy can get this right. It's a building process. You just have to let it run its course for a minute or two, and next year's got to be a big year. I know what the schedule is, but let's see what they can do through the portal and through recruiting, and they can utilize some of the young players that played a lot this year and build that thing out for next year. Georgia smashes Georgia Tech. 
31-23. They get to 12-0, third straight season undefeated in the regular season. Completely insane to think about. Keeps the winning streak alive. Carson Beck, 13-21-75. Touchdown interception. And not really on him. Milton, 18 for 156, two touchdowns. Uh, they ran 39 times for 262 yards. Um, defensively, I, I, offense, not an issue. You had three of your best players that didn't go in this game. You're fine. Now, defensively, there were some things that are a little bit alarming. Uh, Georgia Tech, when we, when we look at this SEC championship game, we're, I think Georgia has like two real ways to manage their offense and game plan. They can be north-south. They can be heavy in the pocket, distribute the football to playmakers. Alabama, on the other hand, can go with a lot of replays, a lot of misdirection, Q runs, RPOs, design quarterback runs that add an extra blocker. They can widen the surface with tight ends. Like Some of the things that Buster did in this game and how he drew it up against his defense, Tommy Reese is going to be able to take because they run very similar things, and I think they're going to be able to do that. Um, misdirection with pullers and splitters coming across zone plays, tight ends leaking out. like All of those things are things that Alabama is going to be able to add and do. Visually, Georgia's going to have to have a big game. They had some letdown plays in this game. Tyke Smith, I thought, had a good game. He's coming up setting the edge, doing different things, making tackles behind the line of scrimmage. Like He's taking on off, like pulling guards and tackles. It's incredible. I uh, thought Warren Brinson had a really nice game in this one. Smell Munden, uh, C.J. Allen had good games, but visually took themselves out of some plays that can't continue in the SEC championship game. And if it does turn into a bit of a shootout and you do try to live from the pocket, go watch what Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell just did to the Auburn tackles. Now, Georgia's tackles are way ahead, but Dylan Wade is a good tackle. And Xavier Miller's played good football here recently, and they wore those two out for the most part. So, that would be my concern. All in all, Georgia ends up getting a good win. It's a rival win. It's a team that has good team speed offensively, good design offensively, gives you a lot of different things. Stretch play, counters, misreads, splitters, jet sweeps coming across. But Alabama will now challenge them east and west and then try to go right at them. So there will be some takeaway of what happened that I think they're going to be able to utilize. South Carolina goes down to Clemson 16-7. to They go to 5-7 and on the year. This one was pretty easy. South Carolina offensive line just couldn't hold up, man. Um, Xavier took a big hit, thankfully bounced back, came back in. He's tough as nails. He had six for 68. Joshua Simon helped out a lot again in this game because Trey Knox took another big hit low, and uh, he got dinged up. Nicky Munawari gets a pick. Um, I thought Debo had a good game. TJ Sanders showed up defensively. Defensively, South Carolina was pretty good. Um, it's just that there was no consistent rushing attack, 24 for 57. We know that Clemson defensive line does a lot, brings a lot, moves a lot, and it was a problem. It was a problem for South Carolina's offense. Rattler was on the move. Now, I think Dow August did a good job trying to move the pocket, trying to set up in different places, trying to offset some of that pass rush. Backs were not good in protection. There were a couple of drops. Um, it was just a rough day for them offensively, and you can't do some of the things that they did and expect to be a good team like that. So they'll miss out on a bowl, which is brutal because you have some young players that needed those extra practices. Um, that one was tough. Uh, Tennessee smashes Vanderbilt uh, 48-24. Now, I thought quarterback had a great game. Um, Joe Milton, 22-33, of 383, four touchdowns, no picks. He made some big-time throws in this game. I mean big-time throws in this game. Uh, Jalen Wright was nice, 11 for 75. 
Um, he was really good out on the perimeter, kind of that one foot in the ground, get north and south. I thought Dane Davis played super aggressive at right tackle. Like he played his rear end off. Uh, he was finishing. He was pounding guys. I thought the tight ends added a lot in this game. Catching the football with some of the inserts in the run game really gave Tennessee a lot in this one. Um, I also really liked the way Amari Thomas and Elijah Simmons played inside. They really made life difficult on Vanderbilt. And here's the thing that Vanderbilt offensive line just can't hold up. Um, I thought A.J. Swan operated things in a lot better manner than Ken Seals. He just felt more comfortable. Um, Ken Seals a little bit just timid in the pocket. He missed some throws. Like he, he had a couple ground balls. It, it just I don't know if the ball was wet or if it came out a different way or what. It just didn't seem right. But that offensive line does not allow them to do things down the field. And you have some of the playmakers intermediately, be it on jet sweeps or actually handing the ball off, that can get things done. And they did create a few things that way. But I didn't really like the way that Vanderbilt didn't even attempt much down the field. Like you have one of the best big receivers in the SEC, and Will Shepard goes two for 44. Like you've got to, if you guys heard the way defensive coordinators talk about Will Shepard, you would understand my frustration at Vanderbilt not forcing him the ball down the field. It has to happen more. It just has to, and it just doesn't. So, you know, that was, that was Tennessee and Vandy. Tennessee finishes up eight and four. Vanderbilt finishes up two and 10. Iron Bowl. One for the ages. Incredible. Unbelievable. Um, the game itself was awesome. I'll, I'll start with my weekend. And then I'll go into the game. Um, I worked the Egg Bowl. Privileged to do it. It was so much fun. But yes, I was away from my family on Thanksgiving, but I got to take them to the Iron Bowl. I had not been to a college football game with my kids. I had not been to an Auburn game with my family, my wife and my three children. I was able to do that. And I'll be honest with you, it was maybe the best weekend of my life. And I mean, a gut wrenching loss, like it just a heartbreaking loss. I saw both ends of the spectrum with my children. My eight year old daughter, after it's over, I walk back over and we're down the sideline. She's crying her eyes out. I, I mean, like, like bawling, like awful tears. And my six year old son walks up and he says, What's wrong? It's just a game. It's just a game. It's just a game. And I love him for that. I love him to be able to have that attitude because I think that's probably his mom in him. And I was hugging my daughter, telling her that I love you for letting this mean as much to you as it does. And trying to explain that to her was hard, that it made me love her more, that it meant a lot to her. And But I, I know the game sucked. For me, it did. I, I can't, there's, I played at Auburn. I graduated from Auburn. My wife went to Auburn. Like we love it. We love every bit of it. And we were able to be fans and just watch it and enjoy it. And it hurt. It was a painful, painful game the way it ended, but it was a hell of a game. And the atmosphere was unbelievable. One of the best atmospheres I've been in, in a long time. But to be able to watch my kids take it in, my three-year-olds out there dancing, my son found this orange wig with like the crazy hair. It stands straight up. Uh, and he thought it was in the condo we're staying in. He thought he had to have it. He get, we go, we go do SEC nation and they get to be there with me for that. And they meet Roman and Jordan guys I work with at other times, which is so cool. And he gets one of those pull apart things that says war Eagle from regions. And he thought he had to have it the whole game. And he's literally pulling it apart, holding it over his head, half the game, putting in people's faces, pulling it out. Like he's dancing when they're swag surfing, he's dancing. Like 
I mean, they're, they're playing seven nation army and he's up there just bouncing back and forth. Like he lived his best life. My daughter's swinging her pom pom around. Like she's going nuts. Three-year-olds out there dancing left and right when they're playing jump around, watching them watch the band come in, watching them watch the flyover, watching them watch the Eagle fly. It doesn't get any better than that, man. Like, some of you guys have been trying to talk shit to me on Twitter about it. Cool. Like, I mean, you're talking about participation trophies and the Auburn Creed and whatnot. I got to, I got to take my kids to see all of that. You know, I took them over and did Marty and McGee and SEC Nation. And I walked them around campus and I took them on the field and they saw the eagle fly. It had to get any better than that, man. To be with my wife and my kids on a game day Saturday in Auburn for the Iron Bowl and to get that competitive a game, which led to that type of environment. Yeah, it sucks that the game didn't go their way or our way, but also that meant the world to me to be able to do it. And not one thing one person says can change my mind on that at all. You can't ruin it. You can't change it. You can't make it any less special than it was. And I'm so glad that I got to do it. As far as the game was concerned, I thought uh, Freeze and Company had an amazing plan. Uh, I talked to somebody on staff before the game, and they told me, hey, you know, there's some things in the run game with counter, the way they align in a certain way and fit in a certain way. We think we can get it going. I kind of thought, hmm, okay. And they did. They got it going. I mean, they completed six passes in the game. You can't win a lot of SEC games doing that unless you're running triple option. Um, the defense played their guts out. Uh, the pass rush was not consistent enough. They, they didn't get home enough. And when they did, they couldn't get the quarterback to the ground. Um, Jalen Milrow was unfriggin' believable. Uh, the kid's just a ball player, man. I give him all the credit in the world. Made plays when he needed to. You guys realize he completed a third and 20. They converted that on that same drive. Then you get a bad snap and you think the game's over after you don't think the game's going to go your way. And then the game doesn't go your way in the most heartbreaking fashion. Credit to Isaiah Bond. Hell of a catch, man. Hell of a throw from Milrow. And, you know, talking to Roman Harper a little bit about it today, like Auburn probably played it the way they should have. They had played that defense in similar situations in that game. Do we look back on it now and say, should have rushed more? Yeah, but there's no should haves in football. Uh, you, you know, don't muff the punt. Don't, don't bust a coverage right before the half and give up a touchdown. Don't have, don't be forced to kick a field goal when you're in position to score a touchdown. We could go through numerous things that could have gone different ways, but didn't. Um, Alabama made plays when they needed to, when they had to, and thus they won the game. But I think it gives you a glimpse of what things can be under Hugh Freeze, and you should be excited for that. Alabama's proven they're one of the best teams in the nation. Uh, they have a quarterback that can beat you in so many different ways. Dallas Turner, Chris Braswell, incredible defensively, coming off the edge. I mean, they were smoking the Auburn tackles. Um, Terry on Auto played a great game, moving around, doing different things, played the run well, exceptionally well. I thought the Auburn backs ran hard. Jarquez Hunter ran hard. Uh, Demarney Austin, man, like that time when he stiff arms, Deontay Lawson coming over to the left side on the one play, like I was like, whoo. And I'll tell you this, there were times being there in person watching it that Auburn matched and was the more physical team. Now, that went back and forth a bunch during the game. I'm not saying for four quarters they were the more physical team, but there were times when you're like, shit, man, Auburn brought the fight. Like, they were not playing. And there were other times that it kind of looked like Alabama was a team that was winning the fight, physically, I mean. So, 
the one thing about it that I did not really expect was how chippy it got. I didn't, I didn't think it would go that way. I didn't think it would be that way. Just because that game has been pretty clean the majority of the time. Like it's usually, usually not a lot of extracurriculars in the Iron Bowl, but that one had some and it got close during a few commercial breaks. I know people at home didn't see it got close a couple of times to being pool, like almost there. But amazing game, multiple amazing performances by different individuals. Keontae Scott was great again. I thought he brought it defensively. Um, you know, a couple guys in the secondary missed a few routes. Um, guys up front couldn't get home enough. I thought that was a big portion of why it went the way that it did. Alabama was on to the SEC championship game. I'll be interested to see what the plan is offensively for both of these teams. Because, like I said before, there are a few things that were put on film against both these defenses that could work. Problem is, Georgia doesn't have as much of the misdirection read stuff that worked against Alabama's defense. Do they go back to the pocket and Carson Beck? Do they try to go downhill on this defense? Because keep in mind, Keenum and Tim Smith and those guys, they played pretty good football this year. Jahimotis played pretty good football. You know, Lawson and Campbell play pretty good at linebacker. Can you just go at them? Can they find mismatches with the tight ends? Maybe that's part of the plan. Um, so I think Alabama's secondary is not just going to get smoked by anybody. And if you do kind of turn into a track meet and go back and forth and live in the pocket, Alabama's got the pass rushers to make you pay. Does Alabama go to more of the read game, misdirection game, east-west, kind of utilize the quarterback runs that way? Do they try to live throwing the football, which they know will turn into run plays with Jalen Milrow? We'll see. It's going to be a fun game. I think it's going to be a heck of a game. I'm calling it for uh, the SEC Radio Network. It's going to be really cool to be there, be it, see it in person. I uh, always appreciate you guys tuning in. Please like and rate and review these. Subscribe on YouTube, at Cube Show on Instagram, at Cube Show on Twitter. Please go be a part of us, and uh, we'll try to be here for you each and every week. We're back next week. We'll go through the SEC Championship game. There's going to be a lot of portal news. Uh, Ken Seals, Vanderbilt quarterback, I think, is in the portal. We've got more coaching news going around. Staff's going to be put together, so stick with us every week right here on Cube Show. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.